Welcome to the Beltway Outsiders Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Vaughn. I'm a lawyer, columnist for the Conservative Institute, and a contributor in many places where I cover everything from politics, law, and culture. I send out a Friday newsletter each week full of political analysis and the best articles I've seen that week. You can sign up and get all of my columns, articles, and podcasts delivered right to your inbox each week by going to thebeltwayoutsiders.com and clicking on the sign-up link, or you can use the links in the show notes, which are available at any time by clicking on them for this or any episode. And finally, if you like what you hear here, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review. If you listen on the website, that's great, but we'd better for the show if you went to iTunes, Google Play, Amazon Music, or wherever you're getting those podcasts and leaving a review. Those five-star ratings help new listeners and readers like you find us, and I always look forward to reading them. And if you can't leave a review, sharing the podcast with others is usually how the show grows anyway, so that is always deeply appreciated. In this week's show, we're going to do a single topic episode and do a deep dive on some of the issues surrounding the conflict with Israel and Hamas. Specifically, I'm going to make the case that just about everything you read in the press about this conflict is wrong, and I lay out the hows and whys of that argument, as well as giving you some historical examples of how the coverage has gotten so skewed and why that is taking place. So there's not going to be any COVID-19 update this week. Uh, Since it's going to be a bit of a longer segment, it seemed like a good week to skip that for this week. If you want the short version of that, though, it's pretty easy. All the numbers are great and getting better. I think I saw that we were about to hit 85% of the 65 and above category who are going to be fully vaccinated, or not fully vaccinated, at least having one dose. So that's the kind of number, if you hit that, you're going to see all your death rates fall off the side of a cliff, and they're not going to come back anytime soon just because that's the... uh, category of people who have been dying from this pandemic. And if they're vaccinated or at least partially vaccinated, everything's going to be fine. So that's really the only thing you need to know about that. So that's the main agenda for this week's show. The light item is going to be a music mashup that I'm pretty sure none of you have heard before. Uh, if you're one of my friends, you're more than likely may have seen me share this specific mashup, but I haven't done it in a while. So, And some of you just haven't heard it. Anyway, we'll get to that in the light item segment. I think you'll enjoy it. And it's a nice break from what's going to be the main topic of the show. So, I wanted to touch on the podcast, this this Israel-Hamas scenario, where they're fighting and there's rockets and more, everything going on. I, I thought about hitting it in the newsletter, didn't feel like that was the right time. I've got a column coming out on Monday where I hit this, so this was a good time because there's finally just more verifiable things that you can say and build on. It's not just all fog of war type stuff. There's verifiable information and you can see what's happening now. So if you haven't been following this, Hamas, which is a terrorist group, they've spent the last several weeks firing thousands of rockets into Israel, indiscriminately, by the way. And they've been targeting civilian targets mostly. I mean, but this is mostly indiscriminate firing. So you, if you're in Israel and alarm has gone off, you have been under the threat of a missile fire from Hamas. So the Israeli Defense Force, the IDF, they say that Hamas and Islamic Jihad have fired 3,100 rockets from Gaza in the past seven days. And I believe that update was from, it was either from earlier Sunday or Saturday, one of those days. So over the past week, 3,100 rockets. They say that's the highest daily rate of rocket fire that Israel has faced in the history of the country. The threat is real. Millions of Israelis are living under fire. We will continue to defend ourselves. End quote. 
So Israel is using what is called the Iron Dome, which is a missile defense system, and it seeks out and destroys these rockets that Hamas has fired in. So Hamas fires these rockets, the Iron Dome tracks them, and then shoots them out of the sky. It has a very high success rate. You're never going to be perfect with these sorts of things, but it has had a high success rate, which is why you also keep the warning systems in place, and so that's why there are always stories reporting of sirens going off in Israel right now, because civilians are under a very real threat from missile fire. So, that's the main overarching story of everything that's happening over there. There were two stories over this main over this past week that I wanted to highlight because they were the ones that stood out more than most of the other reports that have come out of there. So the first story was Israel was sending in ground troops into Gaza to go after Hamas. And then the second story is that Israel used a targeted airstrike on a building with that uh, had in it the AP and other press organizations in it as their, with their headquarters in this building. And Israel targeted and destroyed it. And AP's top editor is calling for an investigation. So those are the top stories that I think came out of it. Um, they're number they're they're the top stories for a reason though because both of them in, either directly or indirectly involve the press. And the problem with the main headlines, and I was getting alerts from these all week. I had friends who were asking about them too. And it's just that they're wrong. They're either flat wrong, depending on how the alert was worded, or they're missing, as the fact checkers like to say, they're missing key context. So we're going to go through both of these. So here's what's happening. On the first story about Israeli sending in troops, ground troops, That actually never happened. Israel never sent in any troops of any kind into Gaza. That didn't happen. What did happen, however, was that an announcement came out from the IDF saying that ground troops were going into Gaza. So the IDF makes this announcement. There was one on Twitter, and I think they did it through a couple other channels. The media then blew that up, especially the international uh, Western press. They blew that up. It went everywhere, and the the alert itself said IDF air and ground troops are currently attacking in the Gaza Strip. So, of course, the media reported this widely and also in alarming tones. But as I said, it actually never happened. So the IDF issued that alert so the media would report that and then get that information to Hamas. And then Hamas would then leave the portions of the areas where they were in Gaza and go regroup in their tunnels in an area in a group of tunnels called the Metro. And so once Hamas did that, Israel not only didn't send ground troops in, they issued airstrikes against that metro area where those Hamas soldiers all grouped in one place. So they used that to conduct a series of strikes and precision bombings on the metro tunnels where these Hamas terrorists were. And Israel said it struck about 150 targets, damaging many kilometers of the Hamas metro network. So that's actually what happened there. Israel said, hey, we're gonna, we've got active attacks happening there. That didn't happen. Hamas fell back to the tunnels. Israel attacks the tunnels. That took the Hamas terrorists out of civilians' way and then allowed a more direct approach for these strikes. So that was a military tactic in place. So, and Israel isn't saying that they used the press for to gain a military advantage here, but that's effectively what happened here. So keep this in mind. Israel did use the press here to gain a military advantage 
over Hamas. The Western press was mad about this, and their journalist on Twitter complained about, you know, quote, being lied to by Israel. In fact, the, the New York Times headlined it with, quote, a press corps deceived and the Gaza invasion that wasn't. Very dramatic. Very New York Timesy. And so this is a situation where the media always makes it about itself. The media is always the story here. You have terrorists who died in mass, and a lot of terrorist tunnels were taken out, but of course it is the fact that the media was lied to, which is the story here, not the actual military strike, which mattered. So I thought this was interesting. I read through the New York Times. So that that headline, I read through some of that, and here's some quotes, two paragraphs, which I found funny reading through this. So the New York Times said, Quote, but the possibility that the military had used the international news media to rack up a bigger body count in Gaza generated sharp questions for Colonel uh, Conricus, Conricus, something like that. Anyway, it, it generated sharp questions for him in the conference call. Israeli officials insisted that the call be held off the record, but a Times reporter who did not join the call obtained a recording of it from another news organization. Representatives of the Times, the Post, the Wall Street Journal, National Public Radio, and AFP, all of which had mistakenly reported that a ground invasion early Friday was happening, peppered him with questions about whether they had been turned into accessories to the military, why it had taken hours for the invasion report to be reversed, and how they would be able to trust the military statements going forward. So the New York Times is very angry that they may have been used in a way that took out Hamas terrorist targets. They want you to know that they have peppered the Israeli military with questions accordingly. And I want you to remember those quotes. Remember that the New York Times and the international press is mad about Israel for lying to them in order to take out more terrorists. Because frankly, I mean, that is what Hamas is. They are a terrorist organization funded and supported by Iran, set out to murder Jews and take out Israel. That is in their charter. That is who they are. There is no mistaking that. They What they say they are, they are. But I want you to keep in mind that specific part where the Times is mad about being made an accessory or being made part of this entire conflict and being used to spread bad information. Keep that in mind. We're going to return to that theme. Um, so the second major thing here, the, major, the story that I mentioned, is the bombing of the building that had in it the Associated Press, Al Jazeera, and several other media organizations. So the AP is calling for an investigation into that airstrike on that building. And the press in, at large in the West is treating this as a needless attack by Israel on the press and not an attack on Hamas. They have denied knowing that there were any terrorist activity happening in that specific building. The problem is that more than likely that's exactly what's happened. And in fact, I I would go out so far on a limb to say that is what was happening here. I think we have the evidence to say for a fact that Hamas was in that building. And here's why. So the first report comes from the Jerusalem Post, and they are reporting that, quote, Israel shared intelligence with the United States showing how Hamas operated inside the same building with the Associated Press and Al Jazeera in Gaza, officials in Jerusalem said on Sunday. Officials in more than one government office confirmed that the U.S. President Joe Biden's phone call with Prime Minister Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Saturday was in part about the bombing of the building and that Israel showed Biden and American officials the intelligence behind the action. 
Quote, we showed them the smoking gun proving Hamas worked out of that building. A senior diplomatic source said, quote, I understand they found the explanation satisfactory. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu confirmed the source's remark when asked about the Jerusalem Post reporting in an interview on the show Face the Nation on CBS. Quote, we share all the intelligence with our American friends, he said. The intelligence we had is about an intelligence office for Hamas housed in that building that plots and organizes terrorist attacks on Israeli civilians. It is a perfectly legitimate target. Netanyahu also remarked that there were, quote, no deaths whatsoever from the strike on the building because of measures Israel takes to avoid harming civilians, including giving an advance warning. The IAF struck a 12-story tower on Gaza on Saturday, giving a warning an hour in advance. Quote, the building housed the offices of civilian media, which the terrorist organization Hamas hides behind and uses as human shields, the IDF said in a statement. The terror organization Hamas deliberately places its military assets in the heart of a civilian population in the Gaza Strip. Prior to the attack, the IDF warned the civilians who were in the building and gave them sufficient time to evacuate. So that's the end of the Jerusalem Post report there. So that is what they're reporting. Netanyahu repeated the same thing on U.S. media. If you go into the readout of the White House call, which they have on their website, they only reference the right of Israel to defend itself and that they discussed the fact that the journal, the attack on this building, there were there some broad blat, um, platitudes that are mentioned in that readout. It's pretty vague. Um, so that's the two main things there. I thought... But on Twitter, there was another interesting thing that popped up because former Obama administration lackey Tommy uh, Vietor, or Vietor, however you pronounce his name, uh, he issued a series of posts where he was criticizing Israel for this attack, but, but added this really funny last tweet, I thought, because he said, last thought on this, I'm sure Hamas offices were in that building and that they purposely co-locate operations with civilians. But that is not a new problem. And if the IDF wants to claim that the military effort is targeted, precise, etc., then you shouldn't hit that building. But when someone questioned how he knew that, he said, I talked to people who worked in the building. So that's how he knows Hamas was in that building. So basically, this was an open secret among the press and among certain government officials that Hamas was in this building with these journalists. And that's nothing new. This is something we know Hamas does. They've done it for decades and years, and we're going to get into that. But it is extremely, exceedingly, I should say, strange to say, yes, Hamas terrorists were in that building, using it as a base of operations and more, and then also say from the same leftist point of view that Israel shouldn't have taken it out or didn't have a legitimate target here. The IDF says they, you know, they didn't get a chance to take out all the targets in that building because of the advanced warning that they gave. But what it did do is also take out a part of Hamas's infrastructure here. Hamas cannot operate out of that building anymore, and a base of operations is now gone. So there's little doubt on the evidence side that Hamas was using a building full of journalists as a base of operations and were using those journalists as shields to prevent an attack from occurring because in order for an attack to come, you have to give advance warning if you don't want to kill those journalists, which is what Israel did, which in turn also gives these Hamas operatives a chance to escape. So that's why Hamas does this. They use human civilians as human shields all the time. And history supports all of this. History supports that the journalists in that building 
not only were part of this, but they also knew that Hamas was doing this and were more than likely actively helping this thing go down. So that's what's happening here. And, and that's what makes this reporting all bad. And remember from back what I said about the first story. Remember that those news organizations were mad at Israel because they didn't want to be used by Israel as part of this conflict. But more than likely, right here, with this building, this proves that they were doing that exact thing on behalf of Hamas. Now, a former uh, Associated Press journalist named Matty Friedman has been in Israel since 1995, and he's been reporting on events from there from ni- since 1997. And he's penned several pieces talking about the issues on reporting on everything regarding Israel as a former Associated Press journalist. And he, he published something in 2014 in Tablet Magazine talking about how things go down in a, really a, a typical report in, about Israel as a journalist over there. So remember, this is from 2014, about seven years ago. And he says, There's been much discussion recently of Hamas' attempts to intimidate reporters. Any veteran of the press corps here know the intimidation is real, and I saw it in action myself as an editor on the AP News Desk. During the 2008-2009 Gaza fighting, I personally erased a key detail, that Hamas fighters were dressed as civilians and being counted as civilians in the death toll, because of a threat to a reporter in Gaza. And he puts in parentheses, The policy was then, and remains, not to inform readers that the story is censored unless the censorship is Israeli. Earlier this month, the AP's Jerusalem news editor reported and submitted a story on Hamas intimidation. The story was shunted into deep freeze by his superiors and has not been published. But if critics imagine that journalists are clamoring to cover Hamas and are stymied by thugs and threats, it is generally not so. There are many low-risk ways to report Hamas actions, if the will is there, under bylines from Israel, under no byline, by citing Israeli sources. Reporters are resourceful when they want to be. The fact is that Hamas intimidation is largely, largely beside the point because the actions of Palestinians are beside the point. Most reporters in Gaza believe their job is to document violence directed by Israel at Palestinian civilians. That is the essence of the Israeli story. In addition, reporters are under deadline and often at risk, and many don't speak the language and have only the most tenuous a grip of what's going on. They are dependent on Palestinian colleagues and fixers who either fear Hamas, support Hamas, or both. Reporters don't need Hamas enforcers to shoo them away from from facts that muddy the simple story they have been sent to tell. It is not a coincidence that the few journalists who have documented Hamas fighters and rocket launches in civilian areas this summer were generally not, as you might suspect, from the large news organizations with big and permanent Gaza operations. They were mostly scrappy, peripheral, and newly arrived players. A Finn, an Indian crew, a few others. These poor souls didn't get the memo. So that's this story from 2014. Talking about dealing with this situation, him, you know, he's having to admit key details. Other stories negative about Hamas are not getting reported. You have the issue of Hamas hiding in civilian clothing, and then when their terrorists and their operatives are killed, they put them in the official death count that they submit to Western news sources, which then gets repeated as fact, even though it's entirely false, and so on and so forth. These are the sorts of things that are common if you are a reporter over there. And remember, this is seven years ago. This is outside the veins of the current conflict. This is just him talking then about things that were happening. 
So I'm going to link to that in the show notes. It's a pretty incredible read. He goes through all the issues and the reporting. But he had another thing. He This wasn't the only thing that he published on this front. And, and the reason all these were coming up is because you had this story about the building with the airstrike, and you had the AP claiming that it was entirely invalid and that there's no reason to do this, and they want an investigation and everything. And the reason that his pieces came up is specifically because of a 2014 piece that he wrote that was in The Atlantic. And so he was writing about the conflict then, and here's a key paragraph of something he wrote. And I think you're going to notice some of the key details here and why this was going viral again and why people were bringing up. So he wrote in The Atlantic, When Hamas's leaders surveyed their assets before this summer's round of fighting, they knew that among those assets was the international press. The AP staff in Gaza City would witness a rocket launch right beside their office, endangering reporters and other civilians nearby, and the AP wouldn't report it, not even in the AP articles about Israeli claims that Hamas was launching rockets from residential areas. Parentheses, this happened. Hamas fighters would burst into AP's Gaza Bureau and threaten its staff, and the AP wouldn't report it. Parentheses, this happened. Cameramen waiting outside Shifa Hospital in Gaza City would film the arrival of civilian casualties and then, at a signal from an official, turn off their cameras when wounded and dead fighters would come in, helping Hamas maintain the illusion that only civilians were dying. Parentheses again. This too happened. The information comes from multiple sources with firsthand knowledge of these incidents. So I'm going to go through a few more things out of that story, but... We're going to stop here and highlight the key part again. AP journalists in 2014 knew and were watching, again, in 2014, seven years ago, that rockets were being launched right next to their offices, and they were not covering it. They were not reporting it. No one was being allowed to send this information out, despite the fact that terrorists were literally launching targets at Israeli civilians from the location of where journalists were sitting in Gaza. Does this sound even slightly familiar here? Does this also sound like a plausible play thing that Israel would might want to strike in an airstrike in order to prevent more rocket fire? I hope some of this is ringing a bell because you know this is 7 years ago and this is why this was going viral. Now I'm not saying this was the same building. There's no, we don't know if this was the same building or not. Seven years ago, who knows? But it's the same type of tactic where Hamas is firing rockets from where journalists are to prevent a retaliatory strike against them. Because if you're going to strike that building, you got to get the journalist out first, which then warns Hamas and allows them to get out too. Or if the strike comes and hits the journalist, everyone's martyred and it's a big international incident. And also, again, I want you to think back about the story of an Israel announcing that false operation against Hamas. The media was mad about being lied to and being made a part of the conflict. But here they are, when it comes to Hamas, they omit and send out Hamas's propaganda and lies all the time. They're being in, they're in these buildings and, being, and allowing themselves to be used as human shields and being made a part of the conflict by making it harder to get rid of a threat. And they're doing this all the time. So they're sitting over here saying, yo, we're going to pepper Israel with all these questions and hammer them because they lied to us. 
and they're repeating Hamas's lies here in these stories. Openly, either out of fear or because they don't know any better or because they're actively trying to help out here. So all of this outrage they've directed at Israel over that one operation is entirely fake. None of it is real. And if it is real, the only reason that it could be real is either because they're smorting Hamas here, or maybe they just have a problem with Jews. There's not a lot of good explanations here for the media's behavior. The best you could say is, well, you know, maybe we're just afraid of, of losing our journalists. Well, if that's the case, why are you keeping your journalists there? Why are you repeating this propaganda if you're scared for your journalists' lives? None of this makes sense. So that Friedman, that article, he goes on and he says the following. Colford, the AP spokesman, confirmed that armed militants entered the AP's Gaza office in the early days of the war to complain about a photo showing the location of a rocket launch, though he said that Hamas complained that the men, quote, did not represent the group. The AP, quote, does not report many interactions with militias, armies, thugs, or governments, he wrote. These incidents are part of the challenge of getting out of the news and not making themselves the news. This summer, he continues, with Yazidis, Christians, and Kurds falling back before the forces of radical Islam not far away from here, this ideology's local franchise launched its latest war against the last thriving minority in the Middle East. The Western Press Corps showed up en masse to cover it. This conflict included rocket barrages across Israel and was deliberately fought from behind Palestinian civilians, many of whom died as a result. Dulled by years of the, quote, Israel stories and inured to its routine omissions, confused about the role they were meant to play, and co-opted by Hamas, reporters described this war as an Israel ons- Israeli onslaught against innocent people. By doing so, this group of intelligent and generally well-meaning professionals ceased to be reliable observers and became instead an amplifier for the propaganda of one of the most intolerant and aggressive forces on Earth. And that, as they say, is the story. So we have plenty of evidence of two things here. The first is that Israel has a legitimate military objective in in the form of hitting that building. And two, the AP more than likely knows that this is also true and is now just covering for Hamas. They will likely claim if they don't do this, their journalists are in danger or they will lose access or something along those lines. But if your journalists are only reporting lies and the only thing you have to account for that, you know, as you know, your end goal of putting them in that danger is your quote access, and you're not using that to report truth. Then what good are you doing the world? Of what possible good is your access if the only thing you're doing is reporting lies from a terrorist organization and doing nothing else? Your reporters are in danger. You're reporting lies, and you're advancing the goals of Hamas through your job. None of that is good. None of that is good at all. And we're going to get into more on this. I'm going to take a quick break right here. I'm going to do the commercial break here. So uh, we'll come back. We're going to continue this segment and go into some more history behind this and why this is happening in the press. So to continue the the thought here, these journalists, particularly the Associated Press and these others, when it comes to Moss, They're not reporting truth, at least not all the time, and particularly when it comes to Hamas, and they're not reporting the facts of what's happening there on the ground. 
And if anything, if you really want to boil it down, what these internationals are do, international journalists are doing is providing cover for, for Hamas operations and preventing more strikes by the IDF on these specific people who should be targeted. You know, and I wish I could say this is only limited to Israel, but it's not. And we're going to go into another piece here and go through some of the, the history here. Uh, Friedman has written several things on this. All three of his pieces were great. There was a reason people were talking about them this week, because they all applied to what was happening this week. The media made a lot of these things about themselves, and so when you're going to do that, it brings up your conduct, not just in this respect, but in past conflicts. And so he points out two things here that I that I didn't know. The first is that the AP did the same thing when they were covering the Nazis in the 1930s, and they also did it again with the North Koreans, and that is more recent. And I was unaware of these studies and these reports. I had read about how the New York Times and others had covered and whitewashed atrocities by the Soviet Union, um, particularly the man-made famines that the Soviet Union created to curtail uh, any uprisings in the Ukraine, and they murdered millions in the process. Um, but I did not know that the AP was also playing footsies with Hitler and trying to you know, do the same thing. It was all about access and protecting reporters. And as I got through this from Friedman, I thought, you know, a lot of this sounds familiar. I can see why he put strung this together to talk about all of this in the form of Hamas. So I'm going to go through a little bit of what he reported here and a little bit of the history just because it was new for me. So I figured if it was new for me, it'd also be new for a lot of you. So he starts out and he's talking about a paper if, by a German historian. So he says, a paper last year by the German historian Harriet Scharnberg titled The A and P of Propaganda and published in Studies of Contemporary History makes the case that beginning in the mid-1930s, the AP's photo office in Germany made compromise after compromise to keep reporting under Nazi rule obeying successive orders from the Hitler regime until it ended up as a Nazi information arm in all but name. Remaining in Berlin after its competitors departed in 1935 allowed the AP to serve as a, quote, key channel for German propaganda, she wrote. An arrangement the New York-based agency was eager to preserve, even if it meant removing all of its Jewish phot photographers in keeping with Nazi race laws, for example, and even if it meant issuing a statement to the official SS magazine swearing that the photo bureau was pure Aryan. In the Nazi years, according to Scharnberg, the AP was selling German images in the United States and selling images from the United States and Germany, allowing fo photographs of American Jews and others to be used in some of the vilest racial propaganda produced by the Nazi state. The AP was, for example, the leading supplier of images for a propaganda book called The Jews in the USA and in a third place among suppliers for photos for the book The Subhuman. Eventually, Scharnberg claimed, the line between the AP's German photo operation and the Nazi regime effectively ceased to exist, even as the Nazis pursued projects like the concentration camp at Dachau, which opened in 1933, and the euthanasia of disabled children, which began in the summer of 1939. What did the AP decide to cover, and how? Well, the head of the AP's picture service in Berlin went on to be the official Nazi photo censor. If AP photos from the German advance in Poland and Russia offered an image of the war that didn't show things like the organized murder of tens of thousands of Jews and others behind the lines of 
what was happening, it was perhaps because the photos were taken by people like Franz Roth, who was, we learned from Scharnberg's report, simultaneously an AP photographer and a senior quad squad leader of the SS and a photojournalist in the SS propaganda company. In his SS role, Roth took propaganda images showing Soviet prisoners as ugly human specimens, and AP, in turn, received exclusive rights to the propaganda photos, which were published in newspapers in Atlanta and Los Angeles. While claiming to be covering Germany, the historian argued the AP photo operation was, in fact, engaged in an illusion of coverage crafted in partnership with the Nazi regime. Instead of reporting on the reality of life under the regime, the AP, blinded and hobbled by its accommodations and relationships, helped obscure what was actually happening inside Germany and the way Nazis waged war. The impact at the time is hard to determine, Scharnberg writes. Nevertheless, it is reasonable to assume that the intuitive sympathies and antipathies of American newspaper readers were not unaffected, at least in the short term, by pictures that usually depicted Germans as triumphant blitzkrieg freighters and their opponents as sullen, sly military failures. The historian's report was damaging enough to warrant a fascinating and deeply researched counterreport from the AP itself on its wartime record, published last month. The factual findings of the AP's own report do much to amplify Scharnberg's own indictment and in the right hands could have been an admirable exercise in self-criticism. But the AP chose to present its findings with a defensive tone that suggests that while the news organization has unearthed a great deal of information, editors there remain confused about what it all means. Yes, we learn, the AP cooperated with the purging of Jews when competitors like the New York Times refused to accept Nazi dictates and left. But it cooperated only after, quote, resisting, and it turned out to be for the Jews' own good. Quote, the AP helped them resettle safely to other countries, which allowed all of them to survive the Holocaust that soon followed. Yes, the AP's photo office did cooperate on a propaganda project with Das Schwarzkorps, the official SS magazine, but we should note that the AP's executives were, quote, distressed by this. Did the AP protest the use of its photos and propaganda that fueled genocide? Quote, to date, no records have surfaced to suggest the AP objected to such practices at the time, the report admits. But yes, this admission is actually followed by a but. We should be reassured that the rules about handling such cases were changed in the 1960s. Had the AP protested at the time, the report explains, it could have lost access in Germany. And moreover, quote, termination of the photo surface going to German subscribers would also have cost the AP some revenue. An American in charge of the photo operation in Germany, we learn, considered the SS magazine, quote, a good customer. After the war, the AP rehired one of its staffers who had joined the SS and employed him until he retired in 1978. Another character connected to the AP photo operation, who was also part of the SS, preferred never to discuss his wartime activities, according to his daughter. Quote, during his whole life, she tells us, he was just interested in the future, not the past. One wonders why. The argument in the AP's counterreport is that while mistakes were made, the big decisions were right. Whatever the cost, the AP concluded, quote, it had to remain to provide coverage for U.S. newspapers and the American public, end quote. I found that 
an amazing set of paragraphs and reporting on the AP's history there. And he goes on. There's there's even more. And I could I could probably just sit here and read his entire thing and you'd be amazed. I will link to it and encourage you to read all of his stories here because it will change your perspective. Because this is just a short history of the AP's involvement only with the Nazis here. And remember, like I said at the top, the key phrase is always access. They always talk about, oh, you know, we have this access. We don't want to lose it because we're the only ones here with it. And, you know, that's a good thing. But the question has to be, what are you gaining from that access? If you're just furthering the cause of something evil, like literally Hitler in this case, or Hamas, then what value does that access hold? It's not like they're gathering evidence for history just to learn, you know, what tell everyone happened on the backside. They're actively involved with, in this case, the Hitler regime or this terrorist organization in the form of Hamas. They're actively involved. And like I said at the top, that's not all. I'm not going to stop, you know. The, he, he also had a paragraph in here about North Korea, which I, th- this blew my mind when I read this paragraph about North Korea. He said, Friedman said the following, A good example came into light in 2014, seven decades after the moral confusion detailed in that Scharnberg report, with the publication of a detailed expose of the AP's bureau in North Korea. And it sounds familiar. The, quote, bureau in Pyongyang, wrote veteran journalist Nate Thayer, reporting from the specialist website nknews.com, that bureau in Pyongyang was not staffed by AP reporters from outside the country. The full-time staffers were North Koreans who were paid by the AP, but answered to the North Korean regime. A written agreement between the AP and the North Korean government allowed the AP to sell propaganda images like those lovely choreographed rallies outside the country, while North Korean, quote, staffers studiously avoided subjects like mass starvation and prison camps. In parentheses, the AP was unhappy with Thayer's report and dismissed his claim, but didn't refute them. So that's what the AP has done with North Korea. So not only is that not access, that is active propaganda. So if you've ever wondered how those really great glossy pictures from North Korea get out, it's because our wire services like the AP want the pictures and then allow those regimes to pump out anything they want in the news form. So that is active propaganda. There's no use for that. And they're furthering the ambitions of one of the worst regimes on earth right now. So in you know, you've got the Nazis, you've got the North Koreans, you've got just about everything here that is awful. And in that in that report, going through the history, he also Friedman adds one anecdote including Gaza and all this. And he he says, The most relevant example from my own experience as an AP correspondent in Jerusalem between 2006 and 11 is Gaza, which is controlled by Hamas, and where the AP has a sub-bureau. Running that sub-bureau requires both passive and active cooperation with Hamas. To give one example of many, during the Israel-Hamas war that erupted at the end of 2008, our local Palestinian reporter in Gaza informed the news desk in Jerusalem that Hamas fighters were dressed as civilians and were being counted as civilians in the death toll. A crucial detail. A few hours later, he called again and asked me to strike the detail from the story, which I did personally. Someone had clearly spoken to him, and the implication was that he was at risk. 
After I published this detail in an essay and tablet for 2014, the bureau chief at the time confirmed it, adding that a few refusal to comply would have put our reporter's life in danger. So again, this access is not getting us anything. In fact, now we're just putting out false information. So think back once more. The New York Times and other news media organizations were openly mad, or at least pretending to be mad, that Israel used them to make a bigger strike against Hamas and, quote, you know, rack up the body count, as the New York Times put it. And they were mad about doing that. That's their story. Yet here they are with decades of helping Hamas, North Korea, or worse, even the form of the AP over here helping out the Nazis. And you have the New York Times who had their reporters helping whitewash what the Soviets were doing in the name of helping communism. So these, these organizations have no ground to be angry with Israel. You've got Israel over here killing legitimate terrorists and killing people in an organization who murder men, women, and children in an indiscriminate fashion. That is what Hamas does. These missiles are meant to kill innocent civilians. Hamas wants to murder innocent people and does not care about military or strategic strikes. They only want to kill Jews. That is literally in their mandate. They want to kill Jews. And so these thousands of missiles that they're firing are not heading for military targets. They're headed for Israeli citizens. And in the process, because Hamas is just truly an awful group, about one in seven of the rockets that they're firing off hits Palestinian civilians, killing them because they either these rockets either misfire, they're badly aimed... It's a mess. They're a mess. And they're killing civilians in the process. Their own civilians, the ones they claim to represent. And Hamas does not care when their own people die. They just blame those deaths on the Israelis. The Western media laps it up, and everyone moves on. Now, is, is Israel perfect? Absolutely not. I'm not making the argument that, it, that Israel is perfect here. They've got problems. You know, they're far from perfect. They're like any other Western country. They've got issues like the best of us. I mean, right now they can't even form a government because their parliament is so divided. Israel has got its issues. No one denies that. But the right to self-defense is not a hard or complex issue. It's a pretty easy one. And the fact that the Western media is making that a more complex issue than it is, is a bad thing. Israel has a right to defend itself against these specific groups, specifically against Hamas, which is firing rockets into Israel. And the other thing about all these false reports that are coming out from the AP and others and how they always cast Israel in a bad light is that far-left progressives and socialists are using these propaganda reports in the media to help mask their own truly despicable anti-Semitic views. The socialist left is no different in America than it is in the UK, where Jeremy Corbyn led the Labor Party down a very long and dark path of just downright explicit hatred towards Jews. And that doomed that party electorally, and it would, you know, that is just morally awful when you're in the position where you have reverted down to a Jew hatred as your sole, one of your sole reasons of being. And you can find that exact same kind of rhetoric with people like Ilhan, Ilhan Omar, AOC, and the entire socialist segment of the party. They use these propaganda reports to mask their anti-Semitic views. When you dig down to it, fundamentally, they do not believe Israelis have a right to any defense, 
and as such should be allowed to be killed by Hamas. That is fundamentally what is happening here. They want Hamas to have the ability to kill off Israelis. And they use these propaganda reports to support their anti-Semitic racism. That's why the AP is furthering in America what... They're, they're furthering this kind of stupidity and they're furthering this kind of racism all in the name of access. And that is not good. They're giving and creating ammo for racist groups in the United States that hate Jews. That is the sum total of these reports. And that is a fundamentally dangerous thing. And you can see it when you look at some videos of these pro you know, these so-called pro-Palestinian protests in DC, where they'll start chanting different things. They'll chant derogatory things about Jews. They'll talk about running Jews into the sea. It's all this deep-seated form of racism, and these reporters are helping push that kind of uh, that agenda and helping fuel these, the, these flames that are growing. It's not about Palestinians. It's about how to channel this hatred for Jews and for Israel. It is deeply evil and deeply wrong, and this bad reporting only gives more fuel, throws more gasoline onto that fire. And it's even leaking, even outside of Congress, it's leaking further into politics down on the state level. Because during the pandemic, Governor Cuomo, he he explicitly set out to shut down Jewish synagogues. Cuomo and de Blasio both had the same goal here. They targeted Jewish communities for valid COVID-19 protocols more than any of the other communities. They sent in police to break up all kinds of Orthodox Jewish community events. And one of the main religious liberty cases before the Supreme Court is dealing with the outright discrimination that was targeting these synagogues explicitly in New York. And when you read through the Supreme Court de- decision, you know, sending it back down to the lower courts, they're saying, yeah, we think this is very likely to see it on the merits that he did, in fact, these two did, in fact, target Jews as part of their orders. And that's, I mean, aside from just being wrong, it's also flatly unconstitutional. So the AP's propaganda reporting on Gaza and Jews in general has consequences. People believe it, they start imbibing that hatred, and they start siding with groups like Hamas. There should be no place in American society for Hamas supporters, but that's exactly what these media reports are fueling, and we have to combat this mistruth by both reporting truth and shining a light on these types of things. We need better reporting over there. We need a lot of things, frankly. And the AP and these other news outlets, if they had any shred of dignity left, they would recall their reporters and stop contributing to the rise in power of groups like Hamas. Cut them off at the knees, deny them the the focus in the media that they want, and that would kill them off. They desperately need the media attention, and they desperately need these journalists. If you deny them that, they're going to be hurt. Self-defense is not something that we should get that should get denied to, to Israel in any way possible, and it should not be made harder for them to accomplish that through all this bad reporting. The Iron Dome and what it is doing is incredible. If you've seen any of the videos, and I urge you to look at some of the videos that have been put out of the Iron Dome in action or some of the 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 long exposure pictures of the Iron Dome in action, it is absolutely incredible. But having to rely on a purely defensive system to, to prevent deaths to civilians is a poor strategy in the long run. And the Israelis know this. I mean, the Iron Dome is awesome, but you cannot depend on it because it, it's not going to be perfect. So if you just depend on that all the time, you're eventually just going to lose people to it because you can't be perfect. And that's why they're doing these offensive strikes as well, to prevent these rockets from coming in. Yet the media is mad at those offensive strikes. 
They have to be, though, because they're scared of losing, you know, quote, access, and the reporters are getting, could get killed by Hamas terrorists. So that's their real end goal here. So we get propaganda from Hamas instead of her truth, just to protect journalists who provide no value to Americans and instead turn around and help grow support for the Hamas cause. So all of this is deeply wrong and ends up supporting an evil organization in the form of Hamas. So that's the full backstory on what's happening here on the media coverage. I'm also going to link in the show notes a really great piece by a couple of law professors who break in the Wall Street Journal. They break down the legal case that supposedly led to all the flared-up current tensions. If you're curious about why these rockets are happening now, they go through. There was this legal case that involved property and a couple of different places. Theoretically, this is what they all claim is the reason this is happening. I tend not to believe that. I think this is just Hamas acting out again. Hamas will take any reason as an excuse to fire rockets. I mean, these are the same people who said they're not getting COVID-19 vaccinations, but they apparently have enough support, money, and access to get missiles to fire into Israel. That seems to be like they, I think they can get those vaccines. If you can get missiles, I think you can get vaccines. That should show you a little bit of the flawed priorities of Hamas and how little they actually care about the Palestinians. So... In short, you know, everything that the press is bringing out on this conflict with Israel and Hamas is wrong. Americans need to continue standing with Israel, obviously, and we should also start offering more aid to get rid of this threat. A Middle East that does not have Hamas, that has things like the Abraham Accords that were signed under Trump and these other treaties that the Trump administration was able to broker between Israel and some of these Arab nations, that leaves this place in a much safer and stable place. You'll notice, too, so in past times where Hamas was acting out like this, some of these other Arab countries, we'd speak up and say, oh, yeah, you know, they're doing this because the Palestinians are being mistreated. They're all kind of quiet right now. They've all got these peace treaties with Israel. And what the Abraham Accords and other treaties proved is that you could decouple the Palestinian issue from Israel's deals with all these other countries because those were never connected. These countries have interests aligned outside of the Palestinian issue, and that assumption was always flawed. So, you know, those, those deals are doing their job. Now you just have to deal with the, the latent terrorist threat here and get rid of it. So, you know, you've got Hamas and Iran are on an island right now attacking Israel and trying to be this thing, and Biden is also wrongfully throwing them a life preserver with his stupid foreign policy. That is... That's a story for another day, but it is also happening here. So you've got Hamas and Iran that need to be dealt with. Israel needs to be allowed to knock out this terrorist group, and we've got to stop this bad reporting. We need to bring all these journalists home because they are doing nothing of value. That's all I've got on the Israel-Hamas story for this week. Like I said at the top, we'll skip the COVID-19 update since this segment segment went extra long. There was a lot of ground to cover, a lot of good stuff. I've got all those Friedman articles linked here. Make sure to check those out. Uh, if you really want to dig down into it, check out the Wall Street Journal article that I've got linked to. There's a lot of good stuff there. There's a lot of information there. So learn a lot. Be able to inform your friends because it is... Once you start seeing this and you see the cycles that Hamas likes to play, it is the same thing over and over and over again. So, the light item for this week is from YouTube sensation Bill McClintock. If you haven't heard of him, he's a masterful editor. What he does is he mashes up really famous songs with each other, songs you would never expect. 
Uh, today, this is one of the old ones that he did, but this one is Marvin Gaye singing Heard It Through the Grapevine over the music of Rat's song, Round and Round. I'm going to play a clip of it. I'll give you the link to it. You should check out the full thing and check out his other stuff because it's truly incredible. People like to joke that this is the soul metal genre of music, and I think that's a pretty apt description. So here it is. So there he is, Bill McClintock. He is a pretty cool YouTube follow. I highly recommend him. He usually puts out a new thing once every week. I may highlight a few more things that he's done in the future. But he, he's he got some crazy stuff that you just you would never think of seeing those two artists ever put together or hearing one artist sing over the music of another. He has a lot of fun flipping those things one way or the other. So give him a look and give him a listen. That's all I've got for today's show. Questions, comments, corrections, or feedback, you can reach out to me in the contact information in the show notes or hit me up on Twitter at DevonCI. Look for my next columns on Monday and Friday at the Conservative Institute, and the newsletter goes out early Friday morning, so make sure to sign up before that and you will get the next issue. Thank you for listening to this podcast and making it a part of your day. Remember, if you liked and enjoyed it, make sure to send in those five-star reviews to help us out. I hope you tune in again, but until then, I am your host, Daniel Vaughn, signing off for this week, and I will see you guys in the next episode. <laughs>